You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, it's good morning. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. Uh, today, we are actually picking back up on a sermon series that we started back in November on the Sermon on the Mount, as you can see. Uh, we took a from this series at the beginning because we were moving to, to this building, and we had the men's retreat and all of that good stuff, but now we're coming back to it. And then we're going to study the most famous sermon that's ever been given in the history of the world, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be in this for the most of the uh, the rest of the spring. So, you know, we're going to kind of crawl through it, but it's that good and important to us. It's worth that amount of time because what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he is basically giving us his manifesto on what life and uh, he talks about this. This is what he's preaching about because Jesus came to initiate the kingdom he came to bring. And so the kingdom of heaven, a big deal to Jesus. But unfortunately, if you're like me, in the church, or if you're new to church or whatever, we're pretty much, there's a good on the page being, we're pretty fuzzy kingdom of heaven really is. Like it was a big deal to Jesus, and yet we don't, most people in the church today, it's like, I don't, like, it just feels abstract, it's kind of hazy understanding, or I'm not, is that where you go when you die? And, all, you know, we just try to figure out what is the kingdom of heaven. And so, as a kind of a way of cap of what we've done so far in this sermon series, uh, and to catch anyone up that hasn't been with us during that time, let me just let me just kind of give us a bit of a recap of what we've seen so far. And one of the things that we talked about is that the kingdom of heaven, let me just give you like a simple definition for this. The kingdom of heaven is where the will of the definition I know of of what the kingdom of heaven is, is the king, kingdom of heaven is where the will of the king is carried out. And uh, kind of get that definition from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus is teaching us to pray, remember what he says? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your what? Will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those two ideas, they go hand in hand. Kingdom come, will be done. You don't have kingdom come with God's will not being done when you is in heaven, which means like anytime you see God's will being done, you get the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Pretty awesome idea, huh? But what is God's will? Like if you, you know, if you were to be able to ask God, God, okay, and I know you give us the Bible. It's a big book. There's a lot of stuff. Let's narrow it down for me. Like what is the will of God? Can you just tell me what do you really want me to do? Well, here's what he would say, and I know this is what he would say because he actually said it in Matthew 22. Jesus says, the greatest commandment, boil it down to you. Here's what really God wants you to do. Here's his will. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the will of God. 
that whenever you see the inbreaking God, his will being done, what you find, even here on earth, even here in Austin, what you find is relationships that are marked by love for each other, where they're whole and healthy, good and fun, flourishing. What you find when the will of God, the kingdom of God comes and breaks into pockets of society, even here on earth, even here in Austin, what you find is, is marks of society marked by uh, diversity and yet unity and equity and, and love. Because that's what happens when you have the kingdom of God, because it is where the will of the king is done. And Jesus is saying, that's what I came, that's what I, he came to initiate. And the thing is, one day, he's going to bring it in full, and he's going to restore the world, and he's going to renew the world right the way it's supposed to be. But it had to be, start that, for that to happen, he had to actually initiate it, and when he came, he came to initiate it. And so what you have in Matthew chapter 5, it's Jesus beginning to preach and saying, okay, let me tell you what I've come to bring. Let me give you my manifesto on the kingdom of God. And so he begins teaching on this. And one of the first things he says, really the first thing he says is, I just want you to know, uh, the value system of the kingdom of God is completely upside down in the value system of this world. Remember that part, if you were with us, Matthew chapter 5, at the very beginning, they bless and, 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 and the meek and those that are persecuted is very different than the value system of this world. But then he moves on from that and he begins talking about, okay, let me tell you, for those that are citizens of the kingdom of God, let me tell you who you are. You are salt of the earth. You are to give people a view into what God is like, what his kingdom is like, and a taste of what God is like, what his king like. So the point that you actually, people will see, how we as the citizens of the kingdom of God are to actually live as salt and light. Or to put another way, he begins talking about how we are to practically love God and love one another. The first thing he says is, is hey, you, you, aren't, um, you aren't to murder people, you know? <laughs> like, that's, that's not very loving. And so don't murder. But he, he goes even beyond that. He says, not only are you not to murder, but you're not even to harbor grudges towards people. You're not to look down and treat people as if they don't matter, as if they're nothing. You're to be quick to repent and, and to forgive, to seek reconciliation. So that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. And then he moves on from that. And he says, and also, you, you're not to commit adultery. But even more than that, you're not to objectify and oppress others. And he specifically calls men out on that. He says, men, you are not to objectify women or to oppress women. See, that's outside of the will of God, because God's will is that we love one another. Now, let me back up one other part in the beginning of, of Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, that's really important, is that when Jesus, right before he starts kind of laying out and painting, really painting a portrait of the type of people he's going to make us into, people of the kingdom of God, he says something. He says, it's really sobering. Okay. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, then you will not even enter 
the kingdom of God. And that was like, that, that, that should bother us, okay? Because the Pharisees in that day, they were the most devout, most studious, most committed people to actually following the will of God. And yet Jesus is saying, okay, you have to actually have a righteousness that goes beyond that to even enter the kingdom of God, much less live really as a citizen of the kingdom of God. See, the reason Jesus says that is because he knew that we don't actually have what it takes in our own power to love like he's calling us to love, to do the things that he's calling us to do. That we actually will need to come and do what he's what in our place to make it possible for us through faith in him to be remade, restored, reconciled to God, renewed, be given a new heart and have his spirit play his power, we actually have the ability to do what he's calling us to do. Jesus knows that. The crowd at that time doesn't know that. Jesus doesn't even speak too clearly to that in this passage. Some people get really frustrated by that, but Jesus is clear. He's like, you have to have a righteousness beyond the other Pharisees to be able to do this, to even get into the kingdom of God. And we know, we know because the rest of the story, that's what he came to make possible. And the big warning and the thing we have to keep in mind as we keep moving through the Sermon on the Mount is that what Jesus is saying in this passage, if our response to it is, man, I really need to try harder to do that, then we've missed something really important. See, our response needs to be, I really need Jesus in order to do that. I really need his spirit to do that. I need to stay in step with the spirit. I need to abide in Christ to do what he's calling me to do because I have to be a new person. Jesus, that's what I've come to do, to remake you. Let me tell you what that looks like when he gets into the Sermon on the Mount. So that's where we've been. Big backdrop, big catch up, big recap to see if I have any time to actually get into today's passage. Very little bit of time. So this should be fun. We're going to see how this goes. Uh, probably poorly, but you know, hang in there with me. Uh, at least the mic's working today. That's, that's a good thing. Remember that a couple of weeks ago? That was, yeah, we're, man, we're, this is great. Okay, so Jesus said, don't murder, you know, don't harbor grudges, don't commit adultery, don't objectify or oppress. Like he's laying this out. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And then he comes to today's passage and he says, and don't make oaths. And we're like, what? <laughs> right? Like, uh, Jesus, why is that? Like, what's the, why is that important? That, that doesn't make any sense. But let me point out and uh, from this passage that this is really what he gets at. In the, as he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you, as citizens, you're to be people who actually keep it. You say you're going to do, you actually do. You make a promise, you keep that promise. But the way that he makes this point, it's kind of weird. And so let me go back to the passage, and I want to just kind of flesh it out for us here so we can really see that this is not. Back in the passage, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, that's where we are. Again, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or for by earth, for it's his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair whack or grow any that fall out and all that stuff. And all you need, simply yes or no, anything beyond that comes from the evil. Okay. In order to grasp the weight and the relevance of what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand a couple of things. One, we need to understand what is an oath, and two, how are people making oaths this day? All right? Yeah, keys for us. First is, what, what is an oath? And let me give you a simple definition. An oath is a witnessed promise. That's what an oath is. It's a witnessed promise. It's a promise that other people observe and as accountability. Now, in our day and age, we don't make too many uh, verbal oaths, right? Like it feels kind of weird to talk about that, but we have some, right? If you're going to witness in a, in a trial, uh, if you're going to become president or elected office, you're going to make an oath. If you get married, you stand up in front of your family, you witness, you change oaths that we make, verbal oaths. But what's really common our day and age written oaths, right? We call them contracts. And you, you buy a new item, do the new contract, right? You get married, you do the, the marriage license, you, you buy a house, you do a contract. I mean, a contract, we do contracts all, all the time. Contracts are just, our legal system says, yeah, we trust written documentation of an oath being made better than verbal documentation. So we, we like contracts. We want you to write it down. It's an oath. It's a missed promise. Jesus's day and age, though, what was most common for them were the oral promise, oral oaths, you know, verbal oaths. And so they, that was very prevalent. They said they did that all the time. And yet here Jesus is saying, I don't want you to do that anymore. <laughs> I got, don't say to you, don't make an oath. Don't swear an oath. And it's like, well, Jesus, what, Jesus, what do you have against witnessed promises? Why, why are we not supposed to do that? Well, here's what you have to understand. In that day and age, the way that people were using oaths had become extremely corrupt and messed up and very convoluted, right? So what people were doing is that they had bought and had taught this idea that, look, uh, if you give an oath, if you make a promise and you connected to God, then that oath is binding. You have to follow through. You're held accountable for that. However, if you make a promise, an oath, and it's not connected to God directly or come too closely indirectly, then you don't actually have to follow through. It's not binding. You can break your promise. You don't have to keep your word. And, and you think, okay, really? Is that how people operated? Because that, that seems really messed up, right? But there is a ton of, uh, of uh, literature from that day and age where the, you see written out this really minute detail of things that are binding promises and not binding promises. For example, one of them, this is my, my favorite, is that if you, if, you swore to, uh, if you swore by Jerusalem that you were going to you know, pay this person back for that sheet that you took from him, then that wasn't binding. You didn't have to keep your word. But if you swore Jerusalem that you were going to pay for that sheet, you actually had to do it. Why? Because, well, Jerusalem is where the temple of God is, and so if you go toward Jerusalem, then you're going 
toward the temple, and therefore that means you're close to God, and therefore it's a binding commitment. But if it's just by Jerusalem, it could be any part of Jerusalem, and so therefore not necessarily binding. And so it's a very messed up system, tons of loopholes, all used to be able to say you're going to do something, but not you have to do it. And friends, that's what Jesus is speaking into here when he says, that's how you're going to be. Don't make an oath at all. In fact, he points out a couple things here that just, that just kind of points out the, the, the ridiculous nature of their whole system. He says, look, if you think that you don't have to do the things that are connected to God, don't you understand everything is, <laughs> is connected to God? I mean, that's what he gets to when he's like, you know, uh, uh, you know, heaven, if you swear by heaven, well, that's God's throne, or earth, that's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, that's the city of the great king. So if you swear by your head, like, you don't have even control of your head, that's, but God made your head, like, that's connected to God. So, like, don't, don't you see in your whole system, it, it, it's full of logical fallacies. Don't do that. Don't make these kind of, oh, and in verse 37, he really gets down to what the key, his key point is, and that is, um, all you need to say is simply yes or no, that anything beyond that comes from the evil one. If you say yes, then do it. If you say no, then I'll... that's how it should be. That's how it is in my kingdom. Before I go any further, let me let me kind of touch something a little give you give you a little caveat to this because if you're like, hey, like does this mean that if I make a promise, then I'm stuck, I'm bound to it no matter what, no matter how foolish it turned out to be, or perhaps even sinful, my promise ended up being and led me down some stuff that I should not have been doing, but I promised I would do it. Or what if I'm in a you know make a vow, a commitment to someone, and they're abusive and they you know all that like all of that. They cheat on me. They leave me. Like, what am I still bound to them? What do I do? Do I, I can never get out of a commitment. I say, yes, it's always yes, no matter what. That's what you're wondering. Let me just say real quick. That's not what this means. Okay. And we know that's not what this means because uh, Jesus tells us that there are exceptions to this rule. He gives us one. He gives us reasons for uh, divorce. That's like a big, very big promise. But he says, see, there are reasons for a divorce. And so he lets you know there are reasons to be able to break your word, to go against what you promised. However, what's really clear, and this is important for you to hear, so listen closely, those are exceptions to the rule. That the guiding principle that Jesus gives us here and the way things operate within the kingdom of heaven, say yes, follow through. You say no, you keep your word. Your yes, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no, as other translations put it. That's the principle. That's the guiding way that we should live our lives. Now, uh, what I think we should take from this, friends, is that it's a big deal to Jesus that we keep our word. That you know, packaged between uh, or, or following after don't murder and, and harbor anger and don't, you know, commit adultery or objectify press. He says, hey, you're to be people who keep your word. It really matters to Jesus. And I want us to think about why it does. 
I think there's two big reasons why this matters to Jesus so much. The first is that Jesus, being God, the Son, through whom all things were created, as John 1 says, knows that he created us in his image, in the image of God. We were created male and female for the purpose of representing and reflecting the very character of God and how we relate to and rule over all of creation. That we were made to reflect God's character. That's why this really matters, that we be people of God's word, because God, friends, is a promise-keeping, a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. That God, when he says he's going to do something, you can take it to the bank. That all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our forgiveness are all banking on God, keeping his word, that Jesus that death for us is sufficient payment for our sins. We're banking our eternal destiny off of that promise. And we can. God is a promise making and a promise keeping God. Love what uh, David says in Psalm 145, verse 13. about this about God. He says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful. And all he does, and friends, as citizens of his kingdom, as Jesus' followers, we are to be salt and light of the world. We are to give people a view into and a taste of what the king is like. And Jesus is highlighting here that a key way to do that is by following through on what you say. Not trying to wriggle out of it, not looking for loopholes. If you say you'll do it, then you'll do it, but that's what God is like. And that means a key way to honor him and therefore express love to God is by reflecting his character. It's one way we love God. The other reason why this is a big deal to Jesus, that we actually keep our word, keep our promises we make, is because this is the way of love. We're called to love one another. I believe Jesus brings this topic up because he knows the pain that occurs when someone doesn't keep. And I am willing to guess that uh, too. Because sadly, we could probably all take turns coming up, grabbing a mic, and telling a story of how we were hurt by someone who promised to do something and didn't follow through, who said they were going to be there but weren't there, said they would be true forever and they weren't. We can all tell those stories, and we all know this pain. You don't love someone when you say you're going to do something, and you don't do it. It's not love. It's not in the will of God. It doesn't have any place in the kingdom of God. It hurts. Broken promises destroy marriages, destroy friendships and business partnerships, strain family relationships and friendships. Jesus says, no, this is why it's really important you keep your word you say you're gonna do it and you do it no um things just kind of got a little heavy here so let me let me just point out that what's wild is that not only is that true for the big promises but even the little things when you promise something and you don't actually follow through those stick with you and uh and so let me tell you a funnier story about that because um my mom uh would just forget to pick me up from basketball practice, football practice all the time when I was growing up. And like, I mean, all the time, like I'm not talking about once or twice. 
I mean, like it was normal that I'm like, all right, it, it, basketball practice ends and I'm not like walking out to the parking lot expecting my mom to be there. I'm walking out expecting her not to be there. Like I think my coach really wondered if my mom loved me. She, she forgot me all the time. And it was way back in the day. Like I'm, you know, I, this is the stuff that makes me feel really old, but like we didn't have cell phones, right? We didn't have, we didn't even have pagers at that time. We, we'd call, if I had to, like my mom wasn't there, I had to go into my coach's office and borrow his landline phone and call my phone at home or house phone if she wasn't there, I'm leaving a message on the answer machine, just hoping that she's going to get it and show up to pick me up. I and mean, it was so embarrassing. And so last year, my boys started playing for their school. And uh, I was driving into practice one day and I told them about that story, about what my mom would do to me all the time. And I said to them, <laughs> boys, I will never do that to you. <laughs> And then a month later, I am working on the side porch, and Krista comes screaming out the hall. She was in the her in our room on a Zoom call meeting with for work, and she comes running up and she opens the door and she says, "You're supposed to be picking up the boys right now." And I just think, no way, no way, no. It's, that's, that's generational sin right there. I mean, it's just, I inherited that. And so, you know, but uh, I'm driving to go pick up my, my boys from practice and I'm rehearsing my apology and I, I can't believe this. And I pick them up and they're not happy. They don't think it's funny. They don't, not at all. And, and, they, and, and Camp uh, looks at me and, uh, and he says, I thought I could trust you. <laughs> And then they begged Krista to pick them up from practice the rest of the semester. Like, just no trust. Like, just, just, just scars, just deep, deep wounds because I didn't keep my word. And like, and that's a that's a minor thing, and yet, like, it really did have an impact. I really did have to apologize a lot. But um, if we don't keep our word, we hurt people, destroy relationships, erodes trust. It, it, it's, Jesus says, this is why it's a big deal. See, my will, see, when my kingdom comes is when you love God and you love others and one by being a person who keeps their commitments, keeps their promises. If you say do it, then you do it. Now, There might be a part of you where you're like, man, Jesus is really making kind of, kind of extreme case here. Like he's, he's like to always let your yes be yes, your no be no. Like, doesn't he know that's not how things really operate? If you feel that way, friends, I just want to point a finger on that. that that's because we are all formed by our culture. The world that we live in, the air that we breathe, it teaches us that words are cheap and that it's always okay if you have a somewhat of a valid excuse, you don't have to follow through. And that if you can figure out a way to make things better for you, even after. Huge deal. This is the way it is in my kingdom. 
because this is what the king is like. This is what you're to be like. This is how you love. So at the risk of stepping on a couple toes. Yes. The, um, it means that uh, if you're married, then you're going to keep your vows. You're going to keep your vows to love and to be faithful, for richer or for poorer, sickness and health. As in, in the unhappy times, you're going to stick it out. Our culture says, uh, yeah, no, if you're not happy, then the best thing you can do is just end it. And sure, God just wants you to be happy. God says, no, no, I want you to keep his word. You promised it. Stick to it. GSPS. This, this means for parents, and this one kind of stings, because uh, it means that if you say you're going to do it, then you, then you do it. And I already told you that I failed at that. And, you know, you say like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to read that bedtime story before bed. I promise you I'll read it to you before bed. And then you get tired. And you get busy, and they come to you and say, well, you said you're going to do it. And you think, well, I'll do it tomorrow night. No, 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 no. You, you keep your word. Your business partnership, you make a business deal. And afterwards, you realize that maybe it was, the terms weren't as favorable as they should have been. You don't try to rule out of it. You abide by it. You keep your word. You join an MC or a huddle, you say, I'm in, and then you're in. You show up, even whenever it's raining, even whenever you're tired, even whenever you had a long day, you follow through. You say yes to that business, you say yes to that lunch meeting, you're there. You don't have to send four or five confirmation texts. You said you're there, you're going to be there. This is just a part of how we reflect the very character of the king who says something and then always follows through. This is what we're called to do, friends. And, and in light of this fast that we're about to do, if you said, okay, hey, I'm going to do this. You tell God, I'm going to engage in this fast. Here's what I'm going to do. You tell your MC, this is what I'm going to do. You follow through and you do that. Now, I stink at that. Do you feel that? You're like, oh, this is so, like, I'm not good at that. Why, why aren't we good at that? Well, a huh, couple reasons, real quick, just bullet point them. One is that many of us are people pleasers. And so we say yes to doing things. We make commitments. We promise something just because we, it's going to make someone else happy. And then we find that we have to do it. And we're like, I hate this. Why didn't I say find a way out of it? That's that's. This is why we make promises and we don't actually follow on them or follow through or so hard to follow through on. Another reason why is because we're often thoughtless in our decision-making and our promise-keeping or making. That we, we say, yeah, okay, yeah, I could do that. Or, yeah, I'll read you that story. Or, yeah, I'll be there. Or, yeah, whatever it might be. And we're just like, we're kind of flipping. Many of us, move, we move at such a fast pace. We're so hurried. And we don't give the time that we need to really pray through and prioritize and seek God to help us discern what kind of commitments we should actually be making 
And we find ourselves locked into something and realize, I don't have the ability to do this. I'm feeling I need to break it. And I think the third reason why we often can make decisions or commitments and it's really hard to keep them is because we struggle with selfishness, right? I love what, uh, I read an article by uh, Lady Sarah Barrett. Uh, I love how she says on this, if I can find it, here it is. Um, she says, uh, since the fall, uh, since the fall, talking about Genesis 3, uh, humanity has always elevated self. And we look out for ourselves above others, considering what's easiest and best and most convenient for us. That sacrificing to keep our word, whether in marriage or at a job or in volunteering at the church nursery, cult. Loving well and sticking it out requires maturity, tenacity, and commitment. Words are cheap, and we're good at throwing them around, but follow-through is rare and the truest. Selfishness merely makes promises. Selfless keeps them, even if it's hard. She goes on to say, while culture has normalized, do what's best for you, back out if it's not convenient, Words are cheap mindset. Christ calls us to a higher standard, one that values the weight of a promise and puts others above self, seeking to obey his command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, keeping our promises often requires selflessness because inevitably something better comes up or you get tired or you just don't want to do it. And yet you say, no, this is what it means to love my neighbor. If I said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. We all struggle with all these things, people pleasing, thoughtlessness, selfishness. But in a world that actually keep our word. Friends, this is what I want to remind you of. When Jesus said earlier, you need a righteousness that's beyond the Pharisees. It's not going to be any good for you if you leave here convicted. I need to keep my promise to. Because we don't, we have this selfless heart. We, 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 we don't have what we need to be able to do this. We do have, we have a power from beyond ourselves. We have a God who keeps his word, who actually really shows us the way of love. Do you remember when Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And yet on the night that he's going to be betrayed, he goes to the garden and he's full of sorrow and he's deeply troubled, and he begins pleading with the Father, please take this cup from me. Like, I don't want to have to keep my word. I know I said that I've come to give my life as a ransom for many, but when it comes down to it right now, I'm struggling with it. The sacrifice feels too great to bear. But he thought, not my will, but yours be done. And then, still full, 
feeling the weight of sorrow and sacrifice that it's going to take for him to actually follow through. He does follow through. The cross. And there he gives his life as a ransom for you, as a payment for you and for all the wrong you've done, including every broken promise that you and I have ever made. He, the one who keeps his word perfectly, pays for that on you. And then he rises again. And he says, anyone who puts their faith in me Trust me, trust me at my word. Trust that what I said I've done for you, I've done for you. Anyone who does that, what I will do is I'll give you a new heart and I will place my spirit within you. So now you have my power as I remake you into my you know, new creation so that you can actually do as I do. You can keep your word, but you rely on me. See, friends, the way that we become a people of integrity who keep our promises is not by trying harder. It's by leaning in one who kept his This is why the greatest commitment that you can make is a commitment to trust Jesus and then to stay in step with his spirit. That that's how we become the type of people that keep our promises. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on your faith. See Jesus keeping his word for you, though it cost him his life. Let that motivate you to live this way. And as Paul will say, Galatians 5, stay in step with the spirit. Fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. That he will make your word. Therefore, in Jesus, we have the motivation, inspiration. Look what he's done for us and the empowerment. Look what he's given us to be the type of people he's called us to be. As people of the word, who with their yes be yes and their no be no, who love people well, just as Christ first loved us. So to wrap up this morning, I want to take we're going to take communion together. And as we take communion, what I want to encourage you to pray about and reflect on is the sacrificial way that Jesus kept his word on our behalf. As the servers begin to pass out elements, what I want to encourage you to do is use this time to thank Jesus for following through on his commitment to die for you, even though it was so costly and sacrificial. And I want you to use this time to ask him to continue to make him like you, that you would abide in him, that you would stay in step with his spirit, that through his work in your life, you would become a person who keeps your word. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm-hmm.